With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to the OFD Podcast. I am your host, site manager Joshua Bowles at OneFootDown.com, and tonight I uh, just got my, my one wingman, Jude Seymour, editor at One Foot Down. Jude, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Happy almost March to you. Is it almost March? Because it's, it's getting pretty cold here. Well, there's no February 29th this year. That's that, that much I know. <laughs> I, I, you know, I have no idea when leap year hits. It's just like when it hits... It's like, oh, dear God. And that one day is the longest day of the year. So lots of stuff to, uh, really to go over tonight, y'all. Um, we got spring football starts Friday with uh, Brian Kelly's press conference. Um, they, Notre Dame released their uh, their spring practice uh, schedule. And I was actually – I can't recall previous years so much, but seven practices of the, of the 14 are open with another one being uh, a 45-minute uh, to start with. So, I mean, open meaning, you know, can be fully viewed by the media. And I, I kind of find that kind of interesting. That it seems like that's, and that's, like, ridiculous. You get nothing during the season. <laughs> so this is a good time to really see how, especially the guys that aren't seeing the field, uh, you know, a whole lot, you're asking, hey, what about so-and-so? Nobody knows because nobody's seen any of this stuff in practice. So this is a good time to kind of get a better grasp on where these guys are sitting at on the roster and how they're how they're progressing on the um, with the team. So uh, that's pretty exciting, Jude. Are you, are you you any is the needle moving for you at all with spring football starting here Friday? Uh, yeah, I'm excited about you know starting to talk about things that are actually happening on a football field um, instead of just you know, unless hypothesizing it. I mean, we're good at, we're, we're good at that, but, uh, you know, I'd like to see those guys out running around and, and also start getting into, you know, what some of the, uh, the configurations are on, the, on the different lines. Yeah. And speaking of lines, uh, that's what we're going to start off with today. We're going to take a, take a look at Notre Dame's defensive line, uh, from side to side. Most, a lot of years, this is like the position group you have, 
you kind of want to shy away from a little bit. Uh, it's a pretty, it's inconsistent year to year, right? Where Notre Dame, in the at least in the, in the Brian Kelly era, has either it's been really good or underwhelming. Uh, and, but before Brian Kelly, it, it had been more than underwhelming for a lot of years. You have some guys who flashed greatness. Um, you know, obviously like a, like a Justin Tuck during Willingham area. Uh, one of my all-time favorites, Trevor Laws, uh, during Charlie Weiss's era. Defensive, a defensive end, I guess, in a 3-4 with 110 tackles his senior year is insane. And nobody talks about that enough. Trevor Laws, you are a beast. Um, so um, let's just dive right on into it. And let's start with, you know, I don't, I'm not insulting anybody here, but our weakest point really is up the middle, right? Because we're, we're losing Jerry Tillery and we're also losing Jonathan Bonner and Bonner. Um, although the stat sheet doesn't say a whole lot, he's playing the one technique. So he's really like his job is to hold the point of attack. All right. And it's more of a, you know, a nose tackle as opposed to the three technique defensive tackle spot, like Tillery held. Um, so we're losing those two guys and, and really stepping in is, you know, Kurt Heinisch, uh, and he'll be, and he rotated in with Bonner a lot last year. Um, a lot of quality minutes. He'll be a junior next year and, and has been playing since his freshman year and surprisingly so. And uh, next to him should be Myron Tagavola MTA. <laughs> <laughs> Tagavola Amosa. So that's my, be- that's my best guy. Yeah. But then after that, I mean, but then after MTA and Heinish, we're not so sure. Uh, we got some youngsters, uh, some talent, and but unproven and possibly still injured severely. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it, it's really hard to tell. And I, I doubt that you'll know, we'll know much more about our depth this spring at defensive tackle. Jude, what, what do you know about it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you did a pretty good job laying laying out what we've seen. Um, you know, just to add to your point, Kurt Heinisch to me was like a co-starter with uh, with Jonathan Bonner. Uh, Heinisch played thirty six percent of the regular season snaps last year. Bonner played forty four percent of the snaps. So, um, and and I believe uh, if the last couple of, of games Heinisch was getting as many or more snaps than Bonner, um, and so it's not to take away anything what Jonathan Bonner accomplished, and, and I think that. He is going to be missed, um, but I see I see Kurt Tynus really as a uh, as a returning starter there. Myron um, Tungla, Vailoa, Amosa. Uh, Just say MTA. MTA broke his foot uh, in the Michigan game, but came back and played in the Cotton Bowl. Um, so I assume he's healthy. I would be, I would believe that he would be the starter at three technique. Uh, Jerry Tillery's old position. Uh, he's got three years of eligibility left, even though he's a rising junior. And, um, and then, yeah, in terms of, uh, the, the kind of injury train or the backup squad, uh, Jamie on Franklin tore, tore his quad. I think it even came off of the, the, it separated off the, from the, off the bone. Yeah. That happened in uh, late September, if I believe. And so, um, I don't know his status in terms of, in terms of the healing process, but obviously we'll get more information we about did, that. We did see a video of him, uh, Notre Dame posted a video of them working out. And he was doing squats and there was a debate about how much weight was on there, but basically it was 300 pounds. Okay. If you, if we're doing the math right on the, on, on uh, the weights, the collars and the bar, 
I believe it was 300 pounds. Uh, so, which isn't a whole lot. 300 pound squat is, is nothing, um, right. especially for a big defensive tackle. But it's still a lot of weight. And for an injury where you're pulling muscle off a bone, that's really encouraging to see. Absolutely. So we, I, I, my assumption is that he backs up Heinish at the, at the nose position or the one tech. Um, Jason Adamaloa, um, he's a likely backup. Uh, I, I think he could do both, right? I think he can do three tech or, or nose tackle. Um, yeah, I think, I think they, re- they like him a lot more at the three. But I think depending on, I think last year we saw um, situationally, I think, he, I think he did move down to the one um, a few times. He, he got 18% of the snaps um, last season. So it, it wasn't a huge chunk, but it was a decent amount. I mean, that's a good, that's a, that's a decent chunk for a freshman. Yeah, I mean, I think that flexibility is going to be help, uh, helpful too when we're figuring out uh, you know, where the injuries may lay. Uh, Hunter Spears, the early enrolled freshman, he tore his ACL last November. Uh, by all accounts, he is healed uh, and will be ready and will be available for spring practice. So I guess, uh, you know, we'll obviously know we'll confirm that up next week or whatever. And then Jacob Lacey, also enro- enrolled early freshman. Um, I mean, I, I think this this is a great opportunity for Lacey because he's got a, um, you know, six month head start on everybody else. So, um, you know, good for him. I do you know exactly where they're going to line him up to start? Yeah, I think I think Lacey's definitely a one, um, and so which is really helpful to us because back it up, Heinish would have been Jamie on Franklin, just based off of we're, we're just going off of like a general depth chart right now, um, not after a spring battle or anything like that. So with Franklin's injury, it's imperative. I mean, Lacey's going to see a ton of ton of snaps, a ton of reps. Um, all through practice this during the spring because I think that's really where they want um, where they want to put him and where he's going to play. So you're going to have uh, you know Heinish starting out there at the one, and then um, Lacey basically backing him up. I I don't know if Franklin. I, I doubt highly that Franklin does much contact work uh, throughout the spring. I think they really want to, and they do this a lot with guys. I mean, they, they want to be careful in the spring not to push it. Um, that way they have, you know, all of spring, summer to heal, to work out, um, to get healthier, to get bigger and stronger. So, yeah, uh, I was also reading today from a Douglas Farmer from Inside the Irish about a pass rush package that the Notre Dame tried last year where they actually had um, Khalid Kareem move inside to the tackle position or, yeah. uh, you know, and then that would, I guess, in the new configuration would be next to MTA and then Dale and Hayes would come up as the kind of, as the, um, as Kareem's position, I guess, replace Kareem in his position. So yeah, I know yeah. we, we haven't talked much about the defensive ends. I'm sure we're going to get into it in just five seconds here, but, um, <laughs> yeah, that's something else to, to think about in terms of different configurations that, that, that we may see, especially against Georgia, if they're going to try to throw different looks at them. Yeah, I think, I think we'll, I was mocking our depth a little bit, you know, to start off here with the defensive tackle, but really, Across with the defensive line players that they have, they do have some options. I mean, they 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 can do some d- different things up front, and we and like Farmer has wrote about that they will do uh, situationally, um, which is nice. I mean, that's just something that hasn't been in Notre Dame's bag um, for a very long time, uh, where they're able to to slide guys down and and do some different things, get some different looks. Um, 
you know, it's not like they're playing their every down. So it kind of throws the offense off a little bit, throws off the offensive linemen who throughout the course of the game, not to say that you get used to the guys across from you, um, but that's why you run stunts and stuff like that. Because if you can confuse an offensive lineman where, where his, uh, especially with all these zone blockings, where the guy's coming from at, it makes it, you know, a lot easier. So Notre Dame definitely is going to be, I can imagine using that package, especially with the, uh, that was a great uh, point of reference there, Jude. Um, because of what they got going on in the middle, you can see a little bit more of that. Um, and so just to slide ever so casually out to the, uh, to the spot is Notre Dame's probably deepest at, and that's a defensive end. <clears throat> of all the position groups on the team, I, I'd have to say, I mean, you got you to gotta say the defensive end is the most stocked, right? I mean, I'm looking at four guys here who's I'm just getting excited thinking about what they could possibly accomplish um, uh, next year. I mean, uh, Julian Aquara, obviously, and, and Khalid Kareem, we saw great things for them last year. Uh, Dalen Hayes, I, I think we're still waiting for him to live up to the hype that one, at least one of the recruiting services put on him. Um, Ade Ogundeje, uh, you know, has filled out his body and he is now, uh, I thought he had a great, uh, he had a great moment in, in the Cotton Bowl. Um, and he really played he well. A, I thought he had a solid season. In his, yeah, his, I thought, his... I thought he, uh, I thought he really came into his own. And, and I just, I, I'm, I, you know, we're, we're talking about Hayes and, and Ogundeje as, as likely backups to Aquara and Kareem, which is, <laughs> it's just crazy to me because, I mean, both of those guys are super talented, and and I think Dalen Hayes has a real opportunity. I, I'm still I'm still fully bought in on the Dalen Hayes package. I I, I think that once he, um, you know, put and once it once it clicks, he really could be um, talked about in the same breath as Aquara and, and Kareem. But I, I think those guys. I, I mean, think think about what we would have been like, uh, what the team would have looked like if those guys had opted not to come back this year. Kareem and Aquara. Uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, and it's still, and it would have been way less. But then you look at that depth chart, and you're still thinking, well, it would have been okay. I, I, just for for me, I'm looking at it going between what we have, we would have coming back, and between what they have coming in uh, as freshmen. I'm looking at numbers, and I'm looking at talent wise. And to me, I'm th- I would think eh, they'll be okay. But because Kareem and Aquara are coming back, I'm looking at it like. These guys can be dominant. I mean, this could be – it was bad enough last year watching all the holds. Get ready to break your TV set. <laughs> I mean, it's going to get ruthless. I mean, and uh, I think uh, it's Kareem's dad is a high school coach, and he puts together little little video spots of, of the guys playing out there on the edge, which is it's kind of great on Twitter. He'll post them out. And everybody's watching this and going, oh, man, he got – there was no flag, and you're watching Kareem just get, you know, murdered. Somebody's tackled him from behind. And what's funny, though, is that Kareem's dad isn't complaining about the hold. He's talking about working on new techniques this summer with him to not be held. Yeah, to I, break which, guys' which hands, I think right? is just awesome. I'm like, yeah. I mean, me, I'm, th- I'm throwing shit against the walls. Just belligerent. Like, how are these not being called? You know, th- they were so blatant throughout the season. And here is the guy's dad, who in most cases would be screaming louder than me about your guy being held. He's like, nah, man, we're going to work on that this summer. <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, that's, that sounds good to me. Let's see it. 
Absolutely. And, and, you know, because those guys came back, it really gets the head scratching moment for a guy like Kofi Warlow, who's like a rising junior who got no snaps last year. And I just don't know where he fits in, in this, um, in this depth chart anymore. I just, I look at, you know, Jameer Jones, uh, he's a senior, a rising senior with two years of eligibility. He got 21% of the snaps. Justin Adamalola, he a sophomore with four years of eligibility. He got 3% of the snaps. Kofi Warlow didn't get anything. So I, I don't know. I don't know what his status is, but I, I just know that he seemed right now, just looking at it from the production of last year, he seems real buried. Oh, definitely. I, I, I don't see a light at the end of the tunnel for Kofi. And he's not, it's not a name um, that has really been mentioned as someone who's like stood out, like on the scout team. I, and I could, I could be making a total ass of myself and he could have got like one of the scout team awards at the echoes or something. Um, but I don't believe so. I, I just think it, it's just a guy who's, who's still trying to learn the game and, and is getting passed um, because the talent that is being brought in and, when you look at defensive end, Notre Dame every year has been tripping over themselves, dying, get, trying to get defensive ends, right? Because what, what's one of sure. the more premium positions on the field? It's, it's a pass rusher. It's, a, yeah, it's absolutely. an edge, edge player, right? Well, there is a certain – there's like a certain body type that Notre Dame has been going after. And there's been a lot of misses. But they still keep trying, and we're talking. And, and just generally speaking, it's a, it's a tall, lean, athletic three-star player. Just speaking of total generalities, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a guy like Johnny Williams, like um, oh, it was on the it was just on the tip of my tongue, uh, like Ade, oh, right? Yeah. Well, Colin, uh, Colin Hill. Oh, Colin Hill. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Guys yeah. that flash their freshman. I mean, that and Ade is one of those same type he's a, he fits in that same group and i but i think with ade they hit i mean right. I, I absolutely think they hit and i think he had the stat line won't show it but i thought he had a really good year you know last year providing excellent depth when he was out there he was he was <clears throat> excuse me he was in the mix he was you know making plays even if he wasn't making stats you know what i mean right so right that's the guy that they're looking looking for and and, you know, the right behind him, you know, two names that we haven't mentioned yet are Jameer Jones and Justin Amiola. And both those guys got snaps last year. I mean, Jameer played yep. in 12 games, and he, he moved up uh, to DN from playing linebacker the year before. Right. You know, then Justin saw four games of action, so he gets to keep his red shirt. But he was pretty key in, like, uh, uh, the Virginia Tech game. You know, he, he gave a lot of minutes in that VT game you know, to help seal the deal on that. So right. it, I saw a lot of good things out of him. Both, both and, the, tw- the, the twins still need some development. But I think within those two guys, those are two guys that we're not mentioning enough. I mean, we mentioned Jason earlier with the defensive tackles. But both those guys are definitely guys that you want to watch this spring or in the fall because, because of what they have talent-wise and, and their work ethic. I think they can really just keep moving up that ladder every year you know, that solid jump every year, which is what, what you're looking for, whether you're recruiting a five-star or a three-star, you're looking every year for that solid jump up. And you know, I, I can't be more excited 
than what I am, you know, for this year to watch what we have. But then even after that, no one even losing Kareem. <laughs> after this year, we lose Kareem, Aquara, and Hayes. But knowing that you still have Ogundeji coming back, I believe Jameer Jones still has a year of eligibility, uh, and then Abiola, and then you know we got some freshmen coming in, right? Not us, and we immensely. we haven't even we haven't yeah. even talked about Ovia Gufu uh, moving possibly from linebacker to DN too. Exactly, exactly. So and we have no idea. Although we do know that he was a name that was praised uh, for his play in practice last year on the scout team. So. You already know that he he's got some love from the coaches for the effort and work that he's put in, you know, playing on the scout team defense, and so you like to hear that. So that's another, and Ovi's another one of those guys that, with Ade, you know, with that Johnny Williams, it seems like all these guys are coming from Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, and then you have your freshman, you know, Howard Cross, Isaiah Foskey, uh, and then who, Nana, the early Roly, yeah. And, so there, there is some very excellent depth. We're not going to see all these guys on the field last year or this year. Last year we saw uh, six six guys on the defensive end play. I mean, so that's three deep, solid, y'all. That's, that's insane. For right. Notre Dame, that's insane uh, to be able to put a three deep basically out there to get minutes. So, and like I said, after this year, you're losing a bunch, but you're – you're gaining a bunch this year. They're they're going to keep recruiting. Uh, hell, even in 2020, we're going to have the uh, the Berlin menace, right? The uh, Ernsberger. Yeah, Ernsberger. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll Another guy that. In, in that mold, right? That real tall, um, considered quick, but it needs to put on some weight, right? Yeah, and I think I, I think I finally have figured out. I'm, I'm trying to do figure out what I'm going to do with Ernsberger, and. For some reason, maybe it's just because of its height, that I'm putting him in the Troy Nicholas category, and so, oh. so now you know I'm I'm starting to think of like Euro Troy. How's that sound? <laughs> Euro Troy. <laughs> oh man! So if you're out there, uh, Troy Nicholas, I, was I got say, your Euro your Euro twin. It's Euro Troy, Aaron Berger. Not to change the subject, but I want to I want to double back just for for one second. Uh, I read Pete's I read Pete Sampson's article uh, where he he sat down and talked with Jerry Tillery, and I, I don't know if this was known beforehand, but it was definitely the first time I heard about it that Tillery had tore his labrum during the Stanford game and actually played the entire rest of the season with a torn labrum, and in fact has not yet fixed it. Intends to bench press during the upcoming NFL Combine and then is going to get it operated on. And I just, I, I, I mean, I, I, he blocked a, 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 I think it was an extra point or a field goal try during the, uh, during the Cotton Bowl. Um, I, I just thinking about what he did accomplished last year and just kind of amazed that he didn't have two functioning shoulders. Yeah. Uh, to, but it, to me, it's amazing. But, you know, he, he's got character issues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's got character issues. You know, the, the, no one's really sure how much he loves the he loves to play football. Let that sink in for a minute. Get an injury, all right? And go to your job, whether it's in a factory or at a gas station or in an office or, or as a scientist out in the field. Get a shoulder injury and tell me how much, how much you want to be at that job. You know, I'm just, I mean, tell me how well you're doing your job on a certain day. Tillery put in every bit of the effort. And, and that he refused to complain about it, that he refused to take snaps off, that he was still You never heard about it. Yeah. You didn't hear about it. 
I mean, it just, it shocked me because he, he played so well and it, you never, I mean, I, I think Brian Kelly was fond of, 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 you know, tweaking, uh, Khalid Kareem for for being on the ground almost seemingly every, every game, game <laughs> with some sort of nagging ankle issue, and, and I and I get that, but uh, and, and then you look at the other side of the spectrum. I mean, that's that's probably Tillery or or somebody like Drew Tranquil who just kind of was playing through these injuries and and, and knowing that um, you know this was something that was not right, but also didn't want to ever stop. No, you know, and- in terms of his team. This will be probably like the one and only time I ever mentioned my playing career, <laughs> but, but playing with an injury, I had a, I had a deep thigh bruise, like to the freaking bone. I mean, it was, took a helmet to the thigh, hundred miles an hour. It straightened up. I couldn't sit in a desk in school. All right. I had to stand up for like three weeks. I couldn't bend my leg. Like it, it, it would not, <laughs> there was no bend. I was basically peg legged. Uh, except for in practice, uh, when you get greased up a little bit, and then the game. And then I remember going down in practice and coach basically saying, hey, you can't be hurt this week. And you're looking at him like, what the fuck do you mean I can't? I am hurt. I'm fucking injured here. And yet, I never complained. I never wanted to take a minute off. When the coach said that is because I was I was playing defensive back. It's a little hard to pivot. <laughs> <laughs> well, off of a back pedal with a peg leg. Uh, so I got my ass run a couple times of practice for having a peg leg. Um, but what I'm saying is, is that, you know, I know what it's like to play really hurt. I mean, that was, I mean, I thought my leg was broke for a couple of days. And I don't, and I don't think that even comes close to comparing to going with what Tillery had with the shoulder. Let me tell you, shoulders are, are a pain in the ass all them all, all their own. So be able to go out there, put in all that effort in practice, in the games. You never hear about it. Yes, yeah, Stanford was not, the fifth, just, fifth game of the season. That means he played eight games with a torn labor. I mean, that's just. I'm just not sure how how he could play in the NFL because he doesn't love to play football. Well, you know, Pete also Pete also reminded us of something silly that that happened Equinemius St. Brown, right? And so. Somebody asked Equinemius St. Brown, what's the, what's the number one question that GMs are asking you when, when, uh, you know, when you sit with them or whatever? And he said something like, well, they were just wondering how into football I was because I speak so many different languages and I went to Notre Dame. I mean, right. give me a freaking break. You know what I mean? Like, but I think that, I, I think that speaks to, and, and we talked about it probably at length in, in the last podcast, about how silly these quote-unquote off-the-field issues or character concerns or however you want to phrase them for Jerry Tillery truly are, um, you know, and, and uh, I, I think these get, maybe it's because he's a potential first round pick and there's a lot of money that's involved, but Alze Max quote unquote off the field issues are really not talked about at all. And I would say that, you know, missing a whole year because of your grades is, is also a character as a character or a red flag issue, you know? Yeah, so there, look, there is, I'm not sure if presidential candidates are underneath, and we're not getting into politics, but I don't know if presidential candidates are under the microscope quite as much as what, I don't think people understand how intense this is for these guys entering the draft. And we're talking deep background checks. I mean, like Secret Service style, what do they call them? Like the G, you're you're like a G3 or whatever the hell it is. 
these are some deep ass checks that these guys they're checking in on every bit of these guys. Not to say that every bit of that information is a make or break, but it all goes into this pot when they're trying when they're sitting there in the fourth round and they're trying to decide between 20 different guys. They have all this information. They have a ton of information to go on, not just their stats or their film. They're ba- they're like they're looking at value every little bit. These guys are scrutinized, and I what I think what happens is, and we play into it because it's so absurd, and so it's our fault for playing into it. But because of some of the stuff that gets that, it's it's an easy like it's a weird thing to say, right? Like this this all American type caliber player who's six six three hundred pounds. You know what what what's one of the, the thing it just shows you what the media is like and we're in that we're involved in that it's an easy thing to get people riled up and interested in right saying that he you know he may not love football or there's some character concerns because everybody knows that he had a couple of incidents on the field that every everyone not everyone but tons of players have had throughout their careers and it's not mentioned in that light you know so, absolutely absolutely it, i mean it, I, it, it's, it's hard to tell what really is and some of it's smokescreen from other teams i'm telling you this shit is down and dirty i mean this is like oh hell what you know the Demo, the the political machines in new york and chicago back in the day that's yeah the how, tammany hall stuff yeah right? that's how down and dirty this shit gets and i'm not i'm not saying that to make a joke i'm being dead serious uh and this has nothing to do with your first round this has to do with your third, fourth, and fifth round type shit. Uh, you know, mo- or I'd say like 90% of it. So with all this draft talk, and it's such a long process, you know. Sure. We come, out, we come off the bowl games. You, you go into a few of the all-star games. And then you have that long wait to the combine where there's nothing really to talk about. And then you got combine. And then it's a month and a half of, of all that, interviews, pro days. There's just so much stuff. I mean, it's just so much stuff to dissect. It's yeah. I mean, we we start talking about this in earnest after the the college football playoff ends. And if you think about it, between mid January and the beginning of the combine, there nothing changes. You know, the teams aren't aren't meeting with the players. Um, they don't have any of the measurables. They don't have the measurement. They have they have some measurements, but they don't have the official measurements, and they don't have the 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 combine combine information. So. Every single person who puts out a mock draft, and, and, and again, I used to write about these between January and March, so I fell victim to it, was just changing their mock draft for the sake of changing it. They didn't have any new information. They were just saying, you know, and sometimes you get information like Kyler Murray is going to focus on football, and that changes some of, some of the dynamics. But, you know, saying that the Giants are going to suddenly trade up to get Dwayne Haskins or the Jaguars are going to do this or whatever – you can't possibly know any of that stuff until the free agency period starts. And that coincides with the combine. So yeah. <laughs> again, all the information is going to happen in March. And then as April, we start hearing about interviews with teams and you know, private workouts and all that stuff. And then we get a better sense. And we also have a sense of what the team needs because what they're, what, what they're focused on in free agency, who they're trying to pick up. I mean, it, the Jaguars are in a lot of mock drafts picking up a Kyler Murray or Drew Locke or something like that. Well, yeah, they might be now, getting Nick Foles. I was going to say, if they're now the favorite to get Nick Foles, then clearly they're not going to draft a quarterback in the first round. Now, watch me watch the, watch yeah. them completely do that. And, Basi- and basically, what's going on here is that y'all need to go 
buy yourself some Men in Black memory eraser and everything that you've been told the last two months, just wipe it out from your brain. Because nothing, because you're absolutely right. Nothing really comes, is going to get even close to being able to be shifted around until free agency and the combine. Right. And I'm not, I'm, I, look, I've been doing this blog gig for 12 years or so. And every year I've gotten more and more into it. And every year I've watched the NFL less and less and less. I mean, I'm watching like Sunbelt games on Sundays. All right. So. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg. This is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. My knowledge is starting to get a little thinner about what team needs are. So I, I talk about it less, which I love because I, I never was as much as I love recruiting and I used to love the draft because I used to love like the way the draft was in the old days with on Saturday and Sunday. Um, not this long, ridiculous process that's going on now. You, you just, but you just don't know. You, you, we're going to have no clue. Everything's a bunch of bullshit until yeah. after the combine. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things I enjoyed last year was reaching out to the different SB nation sites. Those guys are as passionate about pro football as we are oh. about college football. I'm, I'm totally yeah. with you. I, I don't, I don't follow pro football that much. I'm a, I'm a Giants fan. That means I've been suffering for, for years. And it just became too painful to watch the games. It's sort of, I hate to make this comparison, but like sort of watching Notre Dame men's basketball nowadays. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's hard to turn on and it's hard to keep passionate about. Um, so I did this. I did these great stories with, those, with these generous guys. Uh, Big Blue View told me about, you know, the Giants drafting Quentin Nelson. Uh, Bolts for the Blue told me about the Chargers possibly looking at Mike McGlinchey. Neither one of those things actually came true. We <laughs> talked to the Bears site, um, uh, Windy City, uh, forgotten the name, but anyways, the Chicago Bears site about drafting Quentin Nelson and the connection to Harry Heastan and all that. Um, you know, so it, it's it's all a guessing game. It's it's absolutely fun to talk about, but as we've both said here, don't take anything that happens before the combine with any kind of certainty because um you know there were people that had deshaun kaiser as the sixth overall pick uh, you know in january of uh you know 2000 uh, what was it 17 when he got drafted so um it's just the whole thing is is silly and then the combine tells you a lot more information and then and then you start getting into hearing about you know who's actually interviewing who's expressed interest in certain teams and stuff like that Absolutely. Look, we've gotten way off the rails uh, from talking about Notre Dame defensive line heading into the spring. Uh, but I think we, we wanted to talk about a little bit about the draft. And I, I think we covered it there. Um, kind of turning the ship back around a little bit. Um, is there anything more that you want to say about Notre Dame's defensive line heading into spring football? Is there, are you, is there anything more, anything more you want to add? I, I just I listened to a podcast that that Brian Driscoll and Lucy Moji did for for Blue and Gold Illustrated, and they they both rated the defensive line as the number one returning unit uh, in terms of um, what they thought the production was going to be for 2019. Um, I, you know, I think that's that's coaching analysis. I, I think 
that, you know, Brian said that basically this is a very solid, very good defensive line, and it has a chance to be elite. Um, you know, if some of the guys pop that we think could, um, and obviously Dale and Hayes probably being at the top of that list in terms of the, the ends, and then seeing how, you know, Heinish, uh, you know, steps up in, in, a, in, a, in, a main, in a main role, and then the Adam Malolas. Um, and, and then what they, I mean, I am excited about the freshmen too. Uh, I want to see, I want to see Jacob Lacey and I want to see Nana Osafa Mensa. So, um, this has a real opportunity to be the keystone of what Notre Dame is trying to accomplish in, in 2019. And so I, when I look at this line, yeah, there's, there's some questions definitely. And there's some injuries. Absolutely. Um, but I, I see a lot of potential and I, and it's exciting. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And with that, we're going to take a, uh, a short break. You can hear from our sponsors. And uh, when we come back, we'll, we're going to talk a little bit about um, a few different things and uh, stay with us. All right. Welcome back. All right. So there's been there's been some news this week, um, which has been kind of nice. It's been a little bit quiet on the football front and much to everybody's joy that uh, yells at me for talking about other sports on this podcast. I think we're full football tonight, but um, one of the, one of them was that uh, Notre Dame's going to be playing Georgia tech and uh, <laughs> in Mercedes stadium. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I want to talk about this because I think every chance I can get to bitch about neutral site games, I have a platform. I'm going to bitch about it. I think neutral site games are the antichrist. I think it is everything that is wrong with college football today. It is nothing but a cash grab and a flash in the pan bunch of horse shit. It is the most sterilized version of college football, which is the worst kind of college football. College football is, and I always put Pitt, I always give forgiveness to Pitt for having to play at Heinz Field. So this is this is still me giving like like uh, amnesty to Pitt for what they have to do because because uh, they were kind of screwed. But the best football college football is played on college campuses or at least in their college home stadium. Um, neutral site games just they all they don't offer any of that ambiance. And I know Notre Dame fans like it. I think they think it's a thing to sell to kids. And let me tell you something. We've been doing this neutral, neutral site shit for years. How many national titles do we have? How many number? How many top three recruiting classes do we have? All your excuses, all your reasons that you think this is so cool, it ain't working out the way you think, man, and it ain't going to. And to say that it's easier because you're not having to go, it's not a true road game, okay. But, man, that ain't cool. What's cool is going into someone's backyard, beating the shit out of them, and going home with a victory. I mean, there's nothing better for a football team. I, home wins are great, and they are some solid things, especially against rivals. But I'm telling you, going on the road and you against the world inside you know, enemy territory, fans bar, I mean, just horrible atmosphere. If you go in there and knock them in the mouth and come home with a win, that's the best win of the year. And for fans, I'm telling you, Go to away games. Do not put up, do not buy into this. I, I still don't get why people like the Shamrock series. And they talk about, well, this is the only way I get to see Notre Dame play. Really? Because they play all over the country as it is. So 
their Shamrock Series locations are near the regular locations they go to for regular away games. Go to those. It's you talk about Texas. Not like you couldn't have gone to see Notre Dame play at Texas. I realize prices are steep, and there's but I'm telling you, these neutral site games are an offense to God. All right, and this one, you, I can't even bitch at Notre Dame, but this isn't even their fault. Even though they will sell this like a, you know, they will sell the shit out of this because that's what they do. This is Georgia Tech's fault. Why? Why take it out of Bobby Dodd? Are you insane? I mean, to me, that that they just they put themselves at a disadvantage. I mean, that I remember the 2006 game being pretty hyped down there. That for opening opening game for the season. Got Megatron running out there and Duke Wade knocking him on his ass. But it was a tough game. John Tenuta on the other side. It was a tough game. And I, I don't care if it's an old shitty stadium. I don't care if it whole I don't care if it's Wake Forest holding 30,000. Away games are always better. And it, Jude, go ahead and, and argue with me if you like, or agree with me. But what's your take on, on on all these neutral side games? I think you actually touched on the real reason right in the beginning of your argument. And I don't think you might have to go much faster than farther than this. Listen to this information. The change from and this is from the Atlanta Journal Constitution. The change from Paul Johnson to uh, uh, Collins. I'm sorry, Jeff, I think is his first name. Uh, yeah. Their new With coach, a G. Co- yeah. Cost about six million dollars. And the athletic department at Georgia Tech was already anticipating running a deficit of $2.8 million for the 2020 fiscal year. When you said cash grab, that's exactly what this is. Now, and the, is and anyone going to on the backs of Notre Dame's? Is anyone going to sit down right. at the at the press conference and say we desperately need the money that the Mercedes <laughs> Benz people are going to give to us? No, they're not going to do it. They're going to talk about partnership and synergy and peach bowl and, and this and stuff like that. Right. Look, look, I think one of our commenters made a great point, which is they they're not selling out games at Bobby Dowd stadium, right? Dodd stadium. Right. So why are they moving it when to, to a, a place that seats 15,000 more people, if they're not even selling out the, the current, the current stadium, because they know Notre Dame fans will come in and buy those tickets and the payday that they get, from the Peach Bowl people or the AMB group or whatever, who's the president, the, you know, who owns controls the stadium or the Falcons or whatever, will will pay for that for those shortfalls that they have in their operating deficit. Syracuse, I mean, I live an I live an hour and ten minutes away from Syracuse. Notre Dame has not played in the Carrier Dome since two thousand three, and that game that game I would love to extinguish from my memory, Men of Black style. Okay, <laughs> I am I am desperate for Notre Dame Reyes. to come back. No, Reyes yes. running wild. Yeah. Walter Reyes, five <laughs> touchdowns. I would love to have them come back, uh, beat the Oranges' ass in their home stadium, exactly like you talked about. But I also know that the MetLife Stadium Company paid Syracuse and Notre Dame in excess of $4.7 million each to, pay, to play the 2014 game in MetLife Stadium. $4.7 million each. Like if you're Syracuse, that's like I think it was I think I, I did the math on that. Their total athletic department budget was sixty seven million dollars. That game covered seven percent of the revenue that they needed to come up with. And see, and that and this is this is the exact territory that trips me up because not only am I piss poor at math, 
but <laughs> <laughs> and and I and a quick promo here. I I do have a Notre Dame academic story coming up, and it'll be very funny because I did not go to Notre Dame, so it, it and that will show uh, very clearly. But <clears throat> anyways, uh, the the money situation, okay. When we're, when we're talking about the Shamrock series, making Notre Dame money and stuff like that, these neutral sites, I, I get, I don't see the contracts in front of me. You know, I don't, and I, I guess I could try to go get those and I just don't. Uh, but, you know, trying to figure out what pays more. And I guess that like in Georgia Tech's case, that's clear as day. That, that I mean, that's like blatant. In Notre Dame's case, it, it always confuses me because think of how much money piles in to you know, to South Bend that day, to Notre Dame that day, of, of a game, eighty thousand plus, all the stuff on campus that costs money, which is everything, and the fact that you know all your vendors are making the that you know when you go to a neutral site, they're providing the fender the vendors. I don't know what those deals are. You know what I mean? So what share of money is Notre Dame getting from each beer sold or each hot dog compared to what they're making? you know, in their own stadium, those numbers, and that, and that's the tricky part. That's the shit that they could give me all the data and I'd be like, yeah, I got some old style in the fridge. I'm going to go drink instead. But <clears throat> that, that's what trips me up for Notre Dame itself to move these games to neutral sites. And I've always defended them in the case where I don't believe it's a cash grab for Notre Dame. I always believed that it was more of this arrogant brand bullshit. Um, that makes no sense. And in Georgia Tech's case, I can totally see why, you know, you can totally see why they're doing this. Um, I think they're bastards for doing it. And I think they deserve to lose 40 to nothing for doing it. But it's a little more clear. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's absolutely fair. I think that, you know, we can um, complain about Notre Dame moving its own home games out of, out of Notre Dame Stadium and moving them to far off locales. Uh, I, and again, they have their justifications for it. Uh, some of this stuff is is eye rolling, uh, to say the least. Um, but in, in 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 this certain instance, in Georgia Tech's instance, it just seems so obvious why they're doing it, and everybody knows that's why they're doing it. And you know, nobody's coming right out and, and saying it, but uh, you know, we can say it because we can connect we can connect the dots pretty easily. Um, you know, and, and you're right. Notre Dame jumps on it. Uh, they put out a, a, a graphic on Twitter about an hour after the game was announced about how they're going to play in X number of X percentage of NFL stadiums and X percentage of stadiums that have hosted the Super Bowl. Like they're clearly very happy that they're going to go play this game in Mercedes Benz Stadium. They're clear. They clearly did not shy away from it and say, you know, we'd really like to oh, play yeah. you on your own campus or oh, anything oh, like yeah. that. So no, they, they're going to they, they love take saying the, we've played in all these NFL stadiums and it. And for no other reason than it's a humble brag that produces no results. Um. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think, I, I don't know, maybe you, maybe you f- take the other side of this argument, but I think that, 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 that sort of thing. I mean, I think it's well enticing. I think recruits, it's enti- I do right? think it, listen, I, I'm not, I'm not ridiculous. It's a selling point <clears throat> and recruits eat it up a little bit, but nobody's decision is being based off of this. This is just the sprinkles on your cupcake, all right? This ain't yeah. the damn cupcake. So it, I don't care if there's sprinkles on my cupcake. Most people, once they take a bite, don't care if there's sprinkles. But they're pretty, right? Right. So I don't. I think that it's definitely something. Um, 
but it's just it's not enough. It's not make make it a break. And we've been doing this long enough, and we're averaging you know about a, a twelve or thirteen ranked recruiting class each season. I don't think that's the reason why. You know what I mean? Like and that and people would say that that's not good enough. Well, more neutral site games aren't going to get you into that top five. And I think if you get rid of them altogether, you're not going to go down any farther. No, I mean, right. beating a, a top a tier one opponent in a major bowl game will get you in the top five. That's that's the yeah. only thing that really works. And there so. you go. And hey, that's a neutral site game, right? <laughs> there you there, go. There you go. You want the neutral site game? Go. You want to go make the college football playoff? You want to in a big stadium, a, a name brand? Go win the Orange Bowl. Go. Yeah. I mean, especially in South Florida. Go, you know, go do that. And I realize all this is um, not going to go away. All right. This is me yelling into the abyss. But damn it, as long as I have a voice and a keyboard in front of me, I'm going to scream like an asshole uh, for the rest of my life <laughs> or until they put me in the loony bin. <laughs> so we're going <laughs> to, we're going to kind of uh, wrap this up. But uh, I, I think uh, there, there's something funny going on. It, it, we're t- t- just a couple of minutes to talk about it. I put out a picture on uh, the One Foot Down Twitter account. Follow us at, at One Foot Down. And I found it, and I, I was telling Jude before we got on, before we started recording, I get the 2002 and 2004 Notre Dame Michigan games kind of confused um, because I believe both games, uh, people rushed the, uh, onto the field. And both games, I was seated, I was seated right to the um, to the side of the student body. Okay, so basically the same seat both games. And one of those games it was the game that Fane gave me a, a big bear hug. And one of those games was a game where I fell on my head coming onto the field and found a disposable camera. <clears throat> so I took this camera, developed it. There was a bunch of Notre Dame students in it. And yes, there were some there's some cute girls in there. And so at the time, I thought, oh, man, I'm going to go up and tailgate and carry around these pictures and find out who these people are. It'd be a good icebreaker, right? And, you know, I'm, what, 22 at the time, somewhere, whatever that was, 23. Seemed like a good plan. Never did it. And I've been to a ton of games during that time. I went, that's when I was going to about five games a year. Um, but uh, I've had these pictures in my possession forever. And my wife and I are getting rid of pictures. Uh, we got everything's digitized now. We're we're all about getting space and all that. Marie stuff. Marie Kondo uh, took over, or what? Listen, I literally took, I literally took like three hundred pounds worth of pictures and picture books. And sorry, environmentalists, but I took them outside today, poured a gallon of gasoline on them, and burned them. <laughs> That's how serious they were. Too heavy to put in the trash. That's how we so roll we, in Hicksville. Damn right. So, and starting a fire is nothing but getting your can of gas out. Uh, don't try that at home. So, anyway, so I, I tweeted out a couple of these pictures. And it's funny is I'm getting responses back from the people that are in the pictures. And we're talking possibly 19 years ago. And I got to say, this is pretty awesome. So, <laughs> this has been something that I had, you know, all that time ago that I had wanted to find out who these people were, this, this, Random camera that I found on the ground, and uh, it's starting to come to light now. And something else funny, Jude, I'll, I'll let you tell them about uh, what I had just told you and what you just found out. <laughs> 
So you had said that you were on the field um, and you couldn't remember the year, but you knew that you had played, they had played Michigan and uh, you had given, you had been seen on TV, possibly giving a, dir- a dirty look to a player. So I was too tempted. Um, really should. I, I, <laughs> I have a, uh, a secret stash and not so secret stash of, of Notre Dame <laughs> games. And uh, I pulled up the 2004 Michigan game and I'm, I'm scrolling through the end where uh, players are interacting with fans and there I see a, a, a very tanned, very thin uh, version of, of Josh. With God, a, I, was uh, so, I was so fucking good looking, dude. With a, with a visor. And is that a puka shell necklace? And yeah. definitely a sleeveless shirt. Uh, maybe the, the arms have been cut off. I'm not 100% sure what's you going on there. You know well I was sleeveless. Go talk to <laughs> So the guns were fully out. And uh, took a little screenshot and they shared that with, uh, with the uh, people that follow me and One Foot Down. So... Check that out, and uh, maybe we'll turn this into a GIF. And, uh... The shitty look was because of this, all right? They were interviewing Tom Zibikowski. Zibby's one of my all-time favorites. And not to go back to the Rushmore incidents, but he wasn't on – he kind of should be on my Rushmore. Uh, you could do a Rushmore of nines, in my opinion, and definitely he'd be there. But uh, I love – we all love Zibikowski, right, for many reasons. So – you just watch it be a beast animal out there on the football field. And I'm on the, and so I'm out there and here comes Zibikowski walking up to, to get interviewed on NBC. And he's like a foot shorter than me. And it just, it, within that moment, I looked at him and was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. And I, and I gave that, what the fuck? I gave that blink 182 gif look because I, it was just, it just blew my mind how much smaller this man was. Knowing that he could destroy my life, you know. I mean, the, this isn't a. I'm bigger than you, blah blah blah. No, I, I, I just was amazed at how diminutive he seemed on the field, standing next to him, and how big he played. So, it was a funny moment. I'm glad I just mentioned that to Jude right before we we're going to record, and he said, "Give me, give me five minutes." He went and found it. So that's that's great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> good times, so, good memories. I thought, thought, Thought it was some funny stories we'd share with you guys, but um, as always, we're gonna we're gonna end this um, end this podcast with a little bit of a sound off, and we'll start with you, Jude. Um, give me give me your quick sound off here. I'm just I'm happy to get into the the NFL Combine. This is this is kind of up until the draft is when I follow NFL football, so it, it's it's exciting. Uh, to go through the little cattle call, the the underwear Olympics, as we like to call it. So I'm looking forward to uh, all the Notre Dame guys really proving their their medal and and stopping the discussion about whether Jerry Tillery belongs in the first round because he belongs in the first round, as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, and mine is do something different this off season. We spend a lot of time. I don't I don't know if you guys realize how much time I actually spend working on the site. Um, judging by some comments, y'all think that I have no brain, uh, but it takes a little bit of a brain to actually make this thing function, uh, 24 seven. But one of the things I have to do is watch a ton of video and film and all sorts of shit. And I think Notre Dame fans get wrapped up in their, in their own little world, right? We're all in our own little Notre Dame bubble. And it's hard for people to appreciate it's hard for you to appreciate college football and its wider scope when you do that. And it is the greatest sport on earth. It is the greatest worst sport on earth. There is so much dumbness involved with college football, which helps make it the best thing ever. 
So my more of a sound off, more of a challenge than a sound off. The videos that you watch Notre Dame in the offseason to, to keep you going, to keep you, you know, the, the highlight clips, the old games, and, and I'm guilty of it, and I'm, I'll have one for you on Thursday. We're doing throwback Thursdays all their offseason with some, some old stuff. But go look for other teams. In fact, I mean, not Michigan, because fuck Michigan. But go look for at other schools and, and their stuff and watch their stuff. And I'm not saying spend hours a day on it or anything like that, but if you're sitting on the toilet, why not pop in some West Virginia highlights? You know, there, there's all sorts of – if you're a true fan of college football and of football in general, do yourself the favor of expanding what you know, of watching more than what's inside your bubble. And I think that you'll appreciate it, and you'll appreciate the season that much more. You know, a, a loss or two makes half the Notre Dame fan base disappear. And I think if you found, and it, it's depressing for you because you think that you had this whole season to, to enjoy football, but then you're not enjoying it so much. And then it becomes a burden on you. Enjoy something else inside the realm of college football. And I'm not, I'm not telling you to go cheer for another team or any of that stuff. I'm just saying find some joy and things that are outside of South Bend, uh, which that sentence alone <laughs> seems like a crazy statement, but, uh, uh, definitely do that. Go on YouTube. Everyone's got stuff. I mean, that there's just so much stuff out there the, on the social media channels, all that do yourself this favor. I'm, I am pleading with you to, to expand your life a little bit in that case, you know, just 10 minutes a week, uh, until the season. And I think you'll be ready to go. So with that, uh, we're going to end this podcast and, uh, and we'll look forward to coming back next week. I have no idea. Uh, we might have some more guests might, besides just uh, Jude and I signing off here. So who knows? Check out the site. Follow us on one, uh, at One Foot Down on Twitter. Uh, check out our Facebook page. We're on Instagram, popping some fun stuff. Rate and review us. Yeah, Give us some feedback. Please rate and review us. I am going to throw a poll on the – on the post uh, on the site with this podcast. Um, I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to put in that poll yet, but we're looking for some feedback. We're trying some new things. We're doing, we're getting this podcast up and running since uh, really since the end of January. Uh, so this month, as we move along here and we're trying to do this weekly and we've been pretty good about that. Um, just want to know what you guys are looking for, you know, cause we will, we will bend uh, in some way. And, 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 you know, we're, we're looking to, to provide uh, more of that one foot down lifestyle that, uh, that you all love and hate uh, for your earbuds. So with that, we'll see you next time. Go Irish. Go Irish.